I'd like you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, are you there? We'll be looking at a couple of verses here briefly in just a moment. Two words for you this morning. Stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm in what? Stand firm in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand firm, beloved. That's what we heard last time we were here together in Philippians chapter 4, two weeks ago in verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. Therefore, writes Paul, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. Followers of Christ, in fact, are commanded to stand firm in their faith in Christ. And with the world around us in turmoil, believers are to be examples of stability. I know that it doesn't always feel like we're stable, does it? You look at your life and you look at your family at times, you look at your workplace or you look at what's going on around you and it feels like things are out of control sometimes, but we are to be examples of stability in that, in that we face the same kinds of challenges and difficulties and in, in fact we sometimes face more challenges and difficulties than the world does, but we face them with the truth and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ going before us, strengthen us, that He has gone before us, that He has shed His blood for us. And we rejoice in that today as we've sung, and we're going to rejoice in that as we come to the Lord's Supper here in a few moments. Followers of Christ are commanded to stand firm in their faith in Christ, and with the world that we're living in in turmoil, we are to be examples of what it is to be stable in Christ. But in reality, that standing firm is a spiritual discipline. It's not something we just do. It's something we trust the Lord for help with. It is a spiritual discipline, and it's one that's easier preached than practiced. That's why I'm the preacher. I get to preach and tell you, this is how to live. Trouble is, I've got a family, and I have to go home and live it. And I have to practice what I preach, and I tell you from experience, it's harder to practice what you preach than it is to preach what you should practice. Thankfully, though, it may be difficult to stand firm. God has graciously given us who trust in Him the indwelling presence of His Holy Spirit. He has given us Himself to help us, to strengthen us. When we come to Him wholeheartedly, longing to please Him with our obedience, He is there to help us with that obedience. Praise God. And He has given us His Word, which we're looking at this morning to guide us, to instruct us, to correct us, to encourage us in our faith. And we need correcting at times, and we need encouraging at times. It's been said that the Word of God has been given to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. And that's what it does for us at times. Sometimes it afflicts us because we're just thinking everything's fine and I don't need to change anything with my life. And God's Word says, no, you need to pay attention to this area when we read it. And we praise God for His Spirit and His Word that does that work in us as we trust Him for that and ask Him for that work. And and for spiritual matters, the Bible instructs us in the spiritual disciplines. In fact, today as we return to Philippians 4, we're going to see one of those spiritual disciplines. We see here in chapter 4 that after Paul issued a statement, this charge to stand firm, he 
he follows with some practical instructions, some practical advice that will help us learn to stand firm. And in fact, we need to be careful. I used instruction and advice, words like that we need to be careful with when we use because when we come to God's Word, this is, this is commanded, this is a teaching we need, and this is not just a suggestion today that we can take or leave. We really need this, and I think you'll see it as we read the Scriptures together. There are specific, practical steps of obedience that we need to take as believers that will help us to remain faithful and stand firm in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look together at verses 2 and 3 in Philippians 4, where we're going to see that to stand firm in our faith, we must pursue peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we're going to stand firm, we must pursue peace. We see it here in verses 2 and 3. We must pursue peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from the English Standard Version. Philippians 4, verse 2. I entreat... Yodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, if we're going to stand firm in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must learn this. We must learn to pursue peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I think the appropriate word is pursue. Sometimes we run from this. We need to be careful that we don't run from pursuing peace. We need to pursue peace. We need to be serious. We need to be diligent about being at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul in verse 2 shows us why. Because here's a problem in the Philippian church. Yodia and Syntyche weren't uh, getting along. Wonderful names. Anybody name their daughters then? They're not getting along. There's friction There's friction between these two women and a lack of peace and harmony that follows. Evidently, because Paul knew about it. News travels. He knows there's a problem. He's not there, but he knows there's a problem, and he's writing to help instruct the church to be serious about pursuing peace. There was friction between two individuals. So imagine, I just kind of imagine sitting in church on a Sunday morning as Paul's letter is delivered and someone gets up to stand and read and they get to this part. When they name two people in the church who are at odds, how would you like that? (laughs) No, I am not here to name names. But apparently this wasn't a private matter. The rest of the church must have been aware of the conflict in their midst. They must have all known about it because Paul knows about it as far away as he is and in chains as he is, imprisoned and writing back to the church. And it's not stated here, but it must have been some sort of difficulty that's overflowing into the life of the church at Philippi and was causing a problem. If not, at least the potential for this to cause difficulty in the rest of the church was certainly there. So Paul is informed, and he knows about what's going on, and he's writing to encourage the church, to correct the church, to instruct the church, and to do so with wisdom, the wisdom that God gives him as God moves him to pen these words, not just for the Philippian church, but for First Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And praise God, because we're not much different than those early believers, are we? We have our differences. Think about two people at odds. 
You may not have to think too hard about that. It might be a present reality for you. Think about two people at odds. What can happen when two people are are at odds? What happens is often those two people start talking to different people than each other, and people quickly begin to choose up sides. And soon there's conflict that begins to broil in the life of the church and begins to spread through the rest of the body of Christ. And there's a real possibility that this kind of difficulty may not have been that great a a problem, but could have turned into a great problem because people begin to choose up sides. That's a real possibility. And one reason we all need to devote ourselves to pursuing peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ in our relationships with one another. Another danger of strife between believers is the damage that's caused to the testimony of Christ as we serve side by side for the faith of the gospel. Our true purpose is to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ and to make Him known as a body of believers. If we get sideways with one another, our testimony is harmed. If unbelievers see that believers themselves cannot get along, why in the world would they want what we claim to have in Christ? Strife between believers can be a real problem, can bring real damage to our testimony with unbelievers, and it can certainly hinder our ministry in the advancement of the gospel. And Paul knew the importance of of having a harmonious relationship, and so he writes to the Philippian church about their relationships. He knows how important this harmonious relationship is in the church, and he knew the potential for strife, the potential for division, that follows when there's two people at odds with one another and those problems go unchecked and there aren't people who are around them helping them pursue peace. It's probably a good thing that we don't know the specific troubles uh, that, that are occurring between Iodia and Syntyche. We might be going, what was the problem? What? You know, maybe we can apply it to, to our situation. Well, it's probably a good thing we don't know because not knowing helps us apply this more generally to us all, to all of our disagreements, all of our differences. And we can't say, well, my situation is different than theirs, so this doesn't apply to me. No, this does apply to us, and it's probably a good thing. It's more general in nature. We don't know the specific. If it were more specific, if it were more or or even doctrinally related, we don't think it's doctrinally related. We don't see that. It's not an issue here. If that were the case, Paul likely would have addressed that issue specifically to bring correction doctrinally, but he doesn't. But this problem could have been something very minor, Something very petty. In fact, often, let's admit it, most of our differences begin over something very minor, something petty, something we need to be on guard against. Many times, conflict with others starts over the small, the minor differences. I like the the story that Max Lucado shares in his book, In the Eye of the Storm. He tells of going on a, a... fishing trip with some buddies and and the weather took a turn for the worse and turned sour and it it kept them cooped up indoors for two days and all they could do was sit around and and talk (laughs) instead of fishing he and the others sat around inside waiting for the weather to clear and after a couple of days they began to get on each other's nerves imagine that after that experience he made the following statement when those who are called to fish don't fish they fight (laughs) Ouch! Oh, we need to be on guard against fighting instead of fishing. 
being the people that God longs for us to be, those who are fishers of men, right? We, we so often can find ourselves here, if we're not careful, it's true for us in the church, when we lose sight of our mission, when we lose sight of what's really important, when we lose sight and we lose track of the eternal over the temporal, it's easy to fight over the insignificant. It's easy to get hung up over minor differences. And so we don't know the specifics of the problem between these two ladies, but it's clear that there's a problem and it needs attention. So let's consider next Paul's plea. Paul says, I entreat Yodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And then he says later, I also ask you, help these women. He's pleading. The word entreat could have also been translated as beg. I beg, Yodia. I beg, Syntyche. Is this really so serious that one must beg? If that's what it takes, peace in a church is probably worth it. This is important. He's, he's pleading with them. And he calls on others to help them. This is important. This is serious. Clearly, Paul feels strongly that this situation needs to be resolved because he cares about the unity of the church at Philippi. He cares about the work that they're doing, advancing the the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, too, that Paul doesn't take sides. He doesn't take sides in this dispute. That's corrective. That's instructive. There's something to guard against, isn't, isn't it? Something to guard against that we be careful that we don't quickly choose up sides. That's often uh, human nature. Well, tell me your side of the story. Well, that's terrible. I can't believe they did that to you. But if you talk to the other person, you might be taking sides with them. Something to guard against. How easy, how dangerous it is to start choosing up sides at the first sign of a conflict. Instead of recognizing that both sides need to do their part to pursue peace. As much as it depends upon you, says God's Word. Be at peace with all men as much as it depends upon you. So he urges, he does not take sides, but he urges Yodia, he urges Syntyche, he is entreating each of them to agree in the Lord. And in that statement is a key to their relationship. Think about that. To agree in the Lord. That's a key to their relationship. The key to harmony in their relationship is agreeing or being in the same mind in the Lord. Being passionate about the same things from God's Word that we ought to be passionate about together. Each of them needed to be right with the Lord in order to be at peace with each other. This is just what Paul was speaking of back in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Go back there for a moment with me. Philippians 2 and verses 1 through 4. He's talking about this. So, chapter 2, verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, and there is, there is, there is, any affection and sympathy, and there should be. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. What love? The same love that's founded on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being in full accord and of one mind. Doing nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is exactly what Paul was writing about in chapter 2. And that's the miraculous nature 
Just think of it. This is the miraculous nature of having a proper relationship with the Lord as individuals. If we put our relationship with God first, I always like to think of relationships with people in a triangular pattern. With, with one person at the bottom corner and the other person at the other bottom corner and God at the top and, and we're all looking, we're both looking to God and we're striving to have a relationship that's right with God and as we get closer to God, what happens to us? We come closer together. And that's as it should be. That's the miraculous nature of obedience, isn't it? As God is honored in our lives, we find that more often than not, our relationships with people grow. They are healed. Not always. As much as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. It does take two. But you can, you can be the one who starts the process of healing. You can be the one who's doing everything he or she can to be right with God and be right with that person. The key to harmony in their relationships and in our relationships, being in the same mind in the Lord, having the same desire to please God, to be obedient to His Word. When we are right with the Lord, our relationships with others will more often than not also be right. So the position that each of these women had in Christ was the basis for repairing their relationship. And because Christ had done so much for them, showing mercy and grace to them, how could they not be willing to show that same mercy and grace to someone that they might have perceived to have done them wrong? That's a lesson to us, isn't it? And consider that Christ died on the cross. Consider that He went to the cross for our sins, not because we were good people, but because we were sinners. Because we are sinners in need of a Savior, we have a Savior in the Lord Jesus Christ who became the sacrifice for our sins. And because of His sacrifice, we are reconciled to God. And God is all about reconciling us to one another. God is a God of reconciliation. Praise God that He reconciles us to Himself through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then He tells us, now you, you go and be reconciled. You reconcile that person who is at odds with you. It's only through our reconciliation with Christ we must remember that we can be reconciled in our relationships with other believers. These women were sisters in Christ, and they needed to be restored to each other. It was as much for them as it was for the life of the church. And so so Paul pleaded with each of them to agree in the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to urge others to help them. Take note of that. Sometimes a conflict needs the help of someone else to come alongside and speak reason and speak truth and sometimes speak correction. And so we need to be willing to get involved and help restore other believers when it's in our hands to do so, when it's appropriate for us to do so, we need to be willing. We also need to be willing to be corrected. We also need to be willing to have someone come alongside of us and say, no, let me help you with this. Let me help you see this from another perspective. We need to be ready to step in when God gives us that opportunity and it's appropriate for us to do so. We also need to be willing to step aside and let someone come in beside us and help us. 
Now, consider for a moment the various people that Paul points to. The first two, they're obvious, Yodia and Syntyche. These are the women at the very center of the problem. But notice what Paul says about them. He says they, get this, he says they labored side by side with me in the gospel together. I think that's incredible. That's wonderful. Consider what Paul is saying. These ladies had not been troublemakers from the start. And so he's encouraging them, let's get back. Let's return to where you once were. In fact, he is praising them that they were those who had served side by side with him in the gospel together. Paul says that they had served with him to advance the gospel. Praise God. They had served. They had been active. They had been involved. So here's a word of warning to us all also as a side note, but not a light-hearted one. Even people who have been faithful, people who have been godly servants can fall. This is a warning to us. I hear a word of encouragement from Paul to them, but also a word of warning to us that we not think, oh, well, I'll never, I'll never be that person at odds because, well, I'm always right. Right? We say that. We think that. We don't say it, but we think it at times. And, and yet, we could be those people who, whom someone would point to one day and go, there was a day when they were faithful. They were serving side by side with us. And now, we can't get along with them. It, it's so hard. Let's not be those people. Let's be properly warned. So be on guard against pride and selfishness lest you think that this can never happen to you. This is why Paul also set before us the example of Christ back in chapter 2. Go back to chapter 2 again. Let's pick up where we left off with verse 4. At verse 5, we have the example of the Lord Jesus Christ for this. Philippians 2 and verse 5, For though I am absent... I'm in Colossians. There we go. Philippians 2. Verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the example. He's the best one we've got. He's the only one we need. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, God in human flesh, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Take note. Follow the example of Christ. Put to death those things that are earthly in you. Take that seriously. Make it a, a part of your mission in life to put to death the things that are earthly in you, the things that cause you to be selfish and prideful. And oh, how we need to be on guard. It is such a pernicious thing that those kinds of things sneak up on us and we have them and don't even realize it. We need to be on guard with the Word of God at work in us asking for the Lord's help with the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to see the truths of His Word, that we might see our true condition and turn and repent of those sins and turn from them, be on guard against selfishness and pride with Jesus Christ, who has gone before you as an example. 
Now back to chapter 4. Note also that Paul is careful to point out the good that these women have done. We noted it earlier. He doesn't want the attitudes of the others to be hardened toward these ladies, and he wants these women to continue to serve the Lord. He doesn't want this rift between them to hamper their effectiveness in serving the Lord. He doesn't want this rift between them to cause others to be hardened toward them, to, to cast them aside, to write them off and say, well, there they go. There's no helping them. No, that should not be. And that's a lesson to us all. Though there will be differences. We know this, don't we? There will be differences in our midst, differences of opinion about how we should do things and how we should minister even. Though there will be differences among us, we should pursue peace, not allowing those differences to hinder our ability to minister alongside one another for the sake of the gospel of Christ. This is our mission, and it is a precious mission. It is an incredible responsibility and an incredible privilege that we're on mission for God. Now note that Paul also urges his true companion to help these women. It's not clear exactly who this man is, but it's clear that it's someone Paul trusts to help in this situation. Paul also singles out Clement. Apparently Clement was someone in the church at Philippi that Paul knew would would be another godly and reliable resource to help settle this situation. What a blessing to have people to, to come alongside and say, hey, would you help with this situation? Would you help? And we all, we all ought to be striving to be those people who are close in our fellowship with the Lord, who are growing in our relationship with the Lord in the Word of God, so that we might be people who are mature, that we might be able to come alongside and help in a case like this where need be. Paul also singles out the church. He talks about his companion, he talks about comment, and then he talks about the church. Paul includes the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You see, none of us escape the responsibility to be those who pursue peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the rest of the believers in the church. Paul isn't leaving anyone out. Everyone who belongs to Christ should be on board with doing what they can to help in this situation to help these two women to agree in the Lord in our situation, to help one another, to serve Christ together, to agree in the Lord as we find out we have differences. Paul wanted everyone working for and praying for reconciliation and healing between these two women. And we ought to be all about that. As God's people, as God's church, as a light in the darkness that we ought to be as a church, we ought to be all about praying for and working for reconciliation and healing when there are differences that would divide us if we let them. And so we learn from Philippians 4 today that if we're going to stand firm in the Lord, if we're going to be spiritually stable, then we must pursue peace. We must pursue it with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We must make it a priority. We must pursue harmony in our relationships in the church. And we need to understand that pursuing harmony and peace with one another in the church is as much a part of our ministry to unbelievers as is sharing with them the gospel. 
Sometimes I think we forget this. And I'm thankful for people who are on fire about sharing the gospel with people, but we dare not be those people who are on fire about sharing the gospel with people and we neglect pursuing peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need both, and the world needs both. The world needs to see us devoted to both. What unbelievers need to see in the church today are people who are pursuing peace, as imperfect as we are, pursuing peace with one another, even when there are differences, and there will be. May we always be people who humble ourselves before God, who humble ourselves before the Word of God, when we open our Bibles and we remind ourselves once again, this is God's Word to me. I must obey. May we always heed the warnings that we hear in the Bible, such as the one that we hear elsewhere. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, Many become defiled. May we never allow bitterness and disharmony to spread unimpeded in our relationships with others in the church. If we're going to stand firm in the Lord, then we must pursue peace. As we pursue peace, may it be that we are known right here where we live for our unity for our harmony. Not not that we're known for being perfect, but that we're known for our unity and our harmony in our relationships with our fellow believers. May this church, may this place as we gather together, may this body of believers, may we be the people who support and love and care for one another. A place where we are ready to help others who are stumbling A place where we are ready to help those who need our aid and encouragement to help them stand firm in the Lord. And may our testimony for Christ be strong right where we live and work and go to school. May our life as a body, the body of Christ in this community, glorify God and make much of Christ.